If there was such a thing as a picture-perfect marriage, I saw it in Jody and Roman Izzo. I met this couple when they were early in their marriage and totally in love, and wow, they had it all going on. And in this episode, you get a chance to see what it looks like to actually live out those marriage vows, better or worse, in sickness and in health. And in Jody Izzo's case, living those vows out to the extreme. So in this episode, you get a chance to hear Jody Izzo tell her story about living with Roman after the accident. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. This episode is brought to you by the Solomon Foundation. If you want to know more about these guys at the Solomon Foundation, they're committed to helping the local church grow. And if you partner with these guys at the Solomon Foundation, you're going to get an excellent return while you're making an eternal impact. Want to know more about the Solomon Foundation? Check them out at solomonfoundation.org. And now, here's the episode with Jody Izzo. Hey, Jody, I haven't seen you in a long time. It's great to finally see you over this network and to catch up with you. You as well. Thank you. It has been a long time since our days uh, back in Fort Benning. Yeah. Um, You're now living in Las Vegas. And for the listener who is catching this episode later, it's right in the middle of the summertime in Las Vegas, which means it's scorching hot. (laughs) Tell everybody what the temperatures are like today in your hometown. Uh, We woke up to a nice crisp 113 this morning. So obviously with uh, that... I want to point out, she just said... (laughs) In the morning, when the sun was coming up, it was only 113 degrees Fahrenheit. And in the middle of the day, yes. what's it like? Um, it's usually get up to 117. So when you're like, hey, are you available in the morning? I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. we're good. You get a four degree break on the temperature early in the morning if you want to get out and do some yard work. It's not like anybody has grass in Las Vegas. That was you can grow some rocks in the front yard. (laughs) I was that girl where they're like, what is she doing? And I'm like, I haven't put grass between my toes and you're the only place that has grass in town. So. Totally hear you. Um, hey, let's go back to the time that we first met. Uh, this is years and years ago now. In fact, when when we reconnected, I was thinking, wow, it's been a long time since we talked. But I've been watching you from a distance and not cyber stalking you, just kind of following you, your family and all that you've been through. When we first got connected, you were a military wife and had moved to our community because the army sent your husband to what used to be called Fort Benning, Georgia, now called Fort Moore. Let's go back just a little bit earlier than that. How did you two, how did you and Roman meet? Like, give us the whole storybook, uh, <laughs> how you two fell in love story, uh, will you? It was not love at first sight. No, it was. It, um, I remember my uh, youngest brother was the HHC commander up at Knott's, and uh, he was All putting right. on the ball there. And him and his wife, and he was like, my, can you come and can you just hang out with my wife? I have to do all these things. And she doesn't want to sit there by herself and just whatever. I'm like, a party? I, I love to be social. I love to talk. I love to mingle. I just love to learn about people and just being grown and raised in a military community. I was like, sure, why not? So he bought me a plane ticket and he got me a platonic date. So just whatever. And then the, very, the day before my platonic date, I got deployed to Haiti. So I'm like, no worries. <laughs> only, only me, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, no wow. worries. I was coming for the good time and the socialization anyways. All so right. um, I look up and uh, my brother's like, hey, uh, my my, uh, my commanding officer said that um, he wanted to come over and introduce himself. And I'm like, I- I'm here. I'm here for the socialization, right? And wow. then I look over and I see this person like sashaying over towards me. And I remember being like, <laughs> Looking behind he's got me. the he's got the military <laughs> swagger. Any guy yes. who's really really talented, yes. uh, of course, I know exactly what you're talking about. Highly confident, and of course, not you know regular dress blue shoes. Like he had his little boots on, working the whole Texas uh-huh. aspect. So 
he comes over and he's like, would you like to dance? And I'm like, I'm here for the food. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, that's the harsh brush Yeah, well, off. that kind of confidence, I had to bring it down a few levels, yeah, you know? Yeah, right. So uh, after every course, he asked me to dance. After every course, I said no. And then I ran out of courses to stay, you know? So um, we... Uh, we um, finally went out and had a dance, and I was more of a freestyler when he was trying to Texas two-step, so I stepped all over his boots. It was a hot mess. And um, oh, wow. after that, I didn't really think that there was going to be any you know, partying in the uh, yeah, seat certainly there. this guy's not going to call me tomorrow. So I'm like, hey, it was, it was fun. And then he forgot on social media that he was friends with my brother, and he made a comment about, oh, hot girls think that they can dance. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> on now, Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, give me his information. But I was like, you can't do that. I'm like, I'm not in the military. I'm a redhead. I can do what I please. So I just messaged him and I, and I said, hey, thank you for the dance. Um, if you're ever in Florida, you know how it goes. And uh, that turned into um, us dating um, for three months and we got engaged. I knew right away when he asked me, I didn't even hesitate. Like I didn't even finish yeah. a breath. I knew in that moment that he was my person. He was my soulmate. And you can be around someone and every insecurity you have ever had washes away. Um, and their mere presence gives you the strength to face anything. Like, you know, that's your person. And, uh, and yeah. he was. And we got married three months after that. Um, and he was love of my life. So I was very, very when, blessed. Yeah. At what point was Roman in his military career when you guys met and got married? Uh, he was a major. Uh, when we uh -huh. met. So a little bit later into the game, I knew a little bit about it because my brothers were all military and my dad. So, uh -huh. but you know, I was not, so it was, it was, it was alluring, you know, he, like I said, he had the, he had the part, but he also, it was the true embodiment of an officer and a gentleman. So, um, I, wow. I, I felt I was blessed. It's the greatest gift that I've ever been given was when he asked me to marry him. Yeah. I'm learning something about you. I didn't realize that you grew up in a military family. Of course, you're not going to be intimidated by this <laughs> really good looking, really competent army officer. Uh, but I describe a little bit about the military family that you grew up in. Um, my dad's firstborn uh, generation American. I'm from Czechoslovakia. And uh, my grandparents came over here um, as immigrants at 11 and 12, that time frame. Uh, and then turned around and went to Normandy to earn their citizenship. So they fought Normandy wow. and uh, survived. Wow. So, and then my grandmother, um, his grandmother um, was German descent and she fought in World War II, which was kind of unheard of. She joined the Navy and was with Wade. Yeah. So they wound up having children later on in life. Um, so that was kind of cool. And then my mom's dad, the military, um, he was uh, in World War II. He was in the UDT in the Pacific. Um, so he's like the original Navy SEALs. I was going to say, just for those people who don't understand that term, those guys were hardcore. The underwater demolition teams yes. back in the Pacific in World War II, that was about as tough and as dangerous of a mission as any U.S. military in World War II. Yes, it was phenomenal. And he got out and he joined the Army and went to Korea with his brothers. What? He said, get me out of the Navy. I'm joining the Army. Yeah, it was the best move of his career right now. It's a little go Navy, go Army yeah. going on in my family. Uh, so. I'm sure. And then my dad volunteered for uh, Vietnam. He went over there voluntarily. He was on the USS Kitty Hawk. Um, my older brother uh, retired out of the Navy. He had been on the Enterprise and um, did uh, security with Air Force One um, and stuff out of Key West. And he my did? Youngest really? Brother, wow. Yeah, my youngest brother got out as a captain um, in the Army. So he was a armor cap. So. Yeah. Um, Jody, I say this to every military family that I see, but your family has an incredible, just in the short time that they've been in the United States, an incredible military service. And I just want to tell you personally, and on behalf of your whole family, thank you for all that your family has done and the sacrifices that you have made for our freedom. Thank you. When I first met you, um, I met you and Roman uh, kind of not long after you guys were married, uh, a little bit after you guys were married. But I remember thinking, and I don't think I've ever said this to your face. Uh, I remember thinking there is no such thing as a perfect marriage, but these two are a beautiful couple. And I just mean the way that you guys were around each other, the way that you guys loved each other, the way that you guys interacted with each other. I was so impressed by just watching you two from a distance 
So can you go back to when we first met? I remember uh, distinctly that um, our two oldest children were attending um, the school. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it wasn't our denomination, but I was, he was like, you know, maybe we should get back into going to, to church more regularly. Um, and I said, you know what, being that you are in their life now, I think that is a good example. Um, lead by example. And, you know, when they get to a certain age, they can make that choice. But for right now, I, everybody needs to be in the same playing field about their spirituality and morality. So we went, we attended a couple of services, uh, but we were blessed when you um, and Don wound up hosting our Sunday school class. And it was so pinnacle to him and I because he was really struggling at a place in his life with his faith. I think from so much that he had seen um, overseas and at the war, and I think he began to question. So it was for somebody that was very, very like, altar boy growing up and all gung-ho in the church. She's just going through this period in his life where like he questioned everything. And, and I think me and the kids coming into his life was, was a really good marker stone for him opening up to that possibility of, of having his faith restored again. But it was your preaching and it was your comfort that really changed his mind from your personal experiences. And he felt, you know what, if he can go through these things and on the end of it, on the other side of this, he can still see the good that is being done and the lessons that are being learned. And there's something here still for me to learn. And I think being able to change someone's mind like his, who is he's incredibly intelligent, um, multiple languages, you know, a genius, IQ, all of these things. To be able to have somebody come in and, and him be like, hmm, I really want to hear more what he has to say. Like, it really made an impact on him. And obviously, it was a benefit for, for me and the kids and for our family as a whole. So just the way that you deliver things that, you know, no one is perfect, but it's the imperfectness in all of us that really drives that huge force and how the story comes together. So thank you for that. I, I, I didn't set her up to say that, Jody. It was very <laughs> kind of you to say all of those things about me. I just wanted people to hear when I first got a chance to meet you two, I got a chance to hear from really deep uh, soul level things that were going on in your heart, the th- the kind of the struggles that that Roman was going through professionally, but I also got a chance to just hear, you know, what's important to you. And it's a privilege to be able to hear those kind of conversations. So as as I got to know you two more, I I thought when I first saw you, these two are a beautiful couple. The more that I got to know you two, I really started to respect both of you. And you nailed it. When I listened to Roman, I was like, this guy has got it all. He's, He's strong. He's smart. He's talented. He's handsome. He's the whole package right here. I mean, this guy is pretty amazing. Um, By now, the listener has realized that you and I keep talking about Roman in the past tense. So I want you to fast forward. You guys move away. And would you tell them about the accident? Yes. Um, so it's everybody always has this thing when something tragic happens. We, we, we mimic what we think is going to happen on TV and you're going to get some phone call. And, and that's not really, I mean, life in and itself is messy. There is no perfect story. So I remember they had just changed locations. Um, he was very active in the Knights of Columbus in St. Petersburg. And there was a, an older population there. So him and some of the other younger guys would usually go out and help set up for the meetings. And so it was the first time at this new church location. And he was riding his he had a motorcycle. And I remember we would always would have a champagne date and watch, um, watch TV together. So he, was like, he put it, like chilled it before he left. And he's like, baby, I'll be back after church. And I'm like, you know, you better. And I'm like, you know, why don't you wear a helmet? Because he really wasn't a proponent of it. And he's a pretty safe driver. But because he was coming home at dark and it wasn't a place. And he's like, no, I'm fine. He's like, I'm always safe. I mean, just to know that those were the last words um, really kind of um, were impactful. But I remember going, like laying down and um, I just woke up. Like I knew, like in my soul, I felt it. There was no phone call. I grabbed all four of my children. I threw them in the car and I just started driving around town and until I found the accident. And um, when I pulled up on it, uh, they wouldn't let me pass to confirm or deny that it was him. So then I started, I, I jumped on my phone and I'm looking at uh, the, the DOT records, trying to find out, timing the church. I mean, I'm just doing everything. It's, it's amazing in a moment like that, like how clear you can be in like the middle of chaos, but I needed answers. So I um, 
wasn't getting anywhere, but then I found something that might have been. So then I started calling level one trauma centers all around the area, found one, and they're like, yes, we have an incoming person that matches this. So rushed the kids over who are all in their pajamas. None of us have shoes on. I felt like I was, you know, it was not my best day, but I didn't care. And I remember running up with all of my kids in tow. Um, at the time, they were two, three, nine, and 11. And um, I was met in the doorway by the chaplain. And that's never... That's never. A good oh, time. yeah, that's never. Yeah, you know, that's not a good sign. Hold on for just a second. Did you say that you drove around and you kind of arrived at this? I didn't know this. You arrived at the scene of his accident. I did. Yes. Really? So I did. Uh, you you weren't able to see what happened. I'm assuming that's because there was some law enforcement there that kind of made sure that you didn't go up there and see anything. Uh, is that correct? At, at that point, they were still securing uh, the area. Uh -huh. It wound up being his accident was caused. It was on the top of a three-story overpass. And there was another accident at the top of it. And when someone was merging in to avoid this accident is when he was hit. They cut him off and he rear-ended them at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. That, um, he couldn't lay the bike down. His head hit their bumper at 70 miles an hour. He flew over the car, landed in the road, and then broke his skull in seven places. Yeah. So that's what I was about to ask next. You already read my mind is kind of what happened to Roman on that motorcycle and what were his injuries before we even get before you get into the door of the hospital where there's a chaplain waiting for you. Yeah. So he uh, so he broke his skull in seven places. His, his, his bike was crumbled. There was nowhere for him to go. Obviously, like I said, it was a three story overpass. So he had to lay it down. Um, you'll never forget like certain like smells or I didn't even know what I was, what I was walking yeah. into. Um, but I do right. want to give kudos to my, to my oldest daughter who was 11 at the time. And I remember just walking in being like, so like precision clear and just saying like, stop the, like the, uh -huh. the patty patty. Like I'm not the kind of girl that needs that. Like, is he dead or alive? Like I needed to know how I was going to handle the next five seconds, the yeah. next five wow. minutes, the next five yeah. hours. Like I don't have time for a conversation and coffee right now. So and then she, I remember her grabbing me and her, she's like, you need to calm down. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm calm. Like, I'm the calmest I'm about to be. So right now. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> calm right now. You want to see crazy. I can show you crazy, but I'm pretty calm. So right my 11-year-old steps in. She goes, um, if you would like my mother to calm down, perhaps you should just tell her what she what she wants to know. <laughs> so I just remember being like, All right. for you. So um, yeah, wait so, and I, at that point, like I, I said, I didn't know the extent of it. I didn't even know. It. Even at that point, she didn't say. She just said, you can come with me and the two older children, the younger two have to stay outside. So in the waiting room. So I left them with her and I, I went in there and uh -huh. I just stood in the doorway of his room and they literally like handed me his clothes with a hand to be cut off, like his motorcycle vest and everything that uh -huh. he had, like all his perfect military patches on and everything. And, yeah, and they were just covered yeah. in blood. Like, I just remember like looking down and I was just, I was, I was covered in his blood. And it was just like this, one of those moments, like I said, the smell, you see the beeping, you, you see him laying there and yeah. obviously him hitting their bumper at 70 miles an hour and his face, you know, it, it was unrecognizable. So that was, that was difficult. That's what I was going to ask you to do next. So now people are saying, okay, I got to know, is he alive or dead? I'll just go ahead and tell everybody for you. He is alive, but will you describe what he looks like when you see him in the hospital for the first time? Uh, it was, um, it's one of those moments that you'll never forget. <laughs> um, yeah. Just to hear like the rattle of the breathing and the struggle. And mm -hmm. just, I mean, just like I said, he was still coming. He, they had just brought him in like seconds. So, like he hadn't even been like wiped down or anything. He just, I mean, he was just covered uh -huh. in his own blood and you know, his ear was ripped off. And, um, you know, it just, it was surreal. It, and it probably lasted 10 seconds, but it seems like an eternity while you're sitting there and yeah. you're like, okay, what next? Like I now I'm seeing it and it's not really registering, but I know that there has to be a next step. So like the, how I am, I jump in. All right. Now what? what's the ABC and D? And I just went into, I just jumped into crisis right. mode. You know, I called family immediately and I was told that he wasn't going to make it through the night. He had less than a 1% chance to survive. Um, with his injuries, really? he had the equivalency of adult version of shaken baby syndrome. So a lot of people are like, oh, brain injury, like that, you know, over time, like the neural pathways can reconnect. Not for him. Every yeah. single lobe of his brain was damaged. So there was nothing to really, you know, pull from to repair. 
And he was un- yeah. so unstable that he was not a candidate. A lot of times you'll see them remove part of the cranium for the swelling. Yeah. He was uh-huh. not a candidate for that. So they said if he did survive yeah. through the night, that he would eventually die from the swelling because it would crush his spinal cord. So that was our best case scenario. Yeah. I wish, Jody, that you showed up to the hospital late and saw him after they had at least cleaned him up a little bit. And I say that because countless military families, countless spouses who have lost somebody, they'll say what I saw in that hospital room or what I saw in that open casket funeral, I can never get out of my mind. It will stay with me for the rest of my life. And it's one of the most horrifying images I've ever seen. Um, I didn't realize that you showed up at the hospital at the basically the same time that Roman did. But we're actually not in this episode to talk about Roman. And I know we're 20 minutes in and we've been talking about Roman the whole time. I just wanted people to understand, man, this guy really had it all. He was the whole package. He had everything going for him. And then in an instant, it's all taken away because of this accident. And right now, every listener is realizing that could be me. It could be somebody that is the closest person in the world to me that I love more than anybody else on the planet taken away in an instant. And I didn't I don't have any uh, influence over that. So anybody could find themselves in your situation. But the reason I asked you on the show, Jody, is because of watching you take care of Roman, take care of your children and take care of yourself after the accident. So now let's just get into the most important part of the story. What does the future look like right after the accident? Weeks, months, and even years after the accident? Well, um, he beat the odds, um, and I'm a huge champion of love. And I just always felt I'm very like, spiritually connected to him, and I were very spiritually connected. And let's be honest, no one likes being in a hospital. Um, even if you're either for the good, the bad, the ugly, like no one likes it. It's a very like sterile environment. And so my goal from day one was I don't care what it takes. And I looked at my children, and I said, this is going to be the hardest thing that you're probably going to have to do. If we want this family to stay together, we're all going to have to make sacrifices. And if we don't, we know what the consequence is. He will he will stay there and he will perish because he was somebody that was yes. And so I fought, and for six months, um, we spent 12 hours a day um, in ICUs, LTACs, uh, the VA's Emerging Consciousness Program, um, trying to get him better. I homeschooled the children. I went through all their training modules to learn how to do tube feedings and uh, just everything under the sun. If you pull this tube out, how to reinsert it, so I get in the hospital. I mean, I didn't realize how many certifications I could do. I was just like, I was on a mission to get him home, to be at peace in his own bed, surrounded by his children. And this, let's just see what loving God can do, to be honest. Um, I remember standing there and just being learning how to be an advocate. And I think that we all quickly jump to advocating for others before we advocate for ourselves. At least that's me, I know. But in this situation, for the first time in my life, it was that, you know, skip a little bit of the way that you were raised Southern with having like, yes, there are no, sir. It was like, I need to know what you're facing. I need to know why you put a mama's medication. I need to know the X, Y, and Z of it. And that's not very well received. Um, a lot of times, especially because I was younger, right? And I'm talking to obviously physiatrists who are very specialized in their field and I'm trying to learn like their lingo so that I can be able to have an intelligent conversation with them while the children are there. And I will tell you that the, um, that the VA in Tampa did an amazing job. Um, They're not the hero and all, but the people that were on his team genuinely cared about him and the the family. And it had not been for them. I don't think that we would have gotten to the point that we did. So they tried, they tried. And then after the three month program, he was not making any progress. So they sent him home with me, and he was still semi-conscious. So he wasn't even fully out of a coma yet. He couldn't even lift his head. So the kids and I remember my first trial weekend home with him. We had a lift kit system. Um, it took the four children and myself 45 minutes to load him into the car. It was a 45-minute ride home. Um, he got car sick. It was car sick. Uh, he tried to jump out of, of the vehicle on the interstate because he, was, he had, was, had no you know, consequence with everything and I remember getting home and just crying my eyes out and I was like Jody if you can get through this you can get through this one weekend then no matter what is going forward then you can get through it but you've got to get through this weekend like 
Um, and so I remember pulling up and my two nurse friends and they saw me and I'm just, I'm getting out and it's the ugly cry, right? It is the ugly cry. And they're like, go inside. We'll clean them. We'll clean them up. We'll get them inside. You just go in, have a glass of wine and reset yourself because today is day one of your forever. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't, you have a long future. This is, and it was the one thing in advice that I want to say is everyone says it and it's so annoying. You know, this is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Well, you don't want to hear that when you are in the Right. So we get him home and he was still subconscious. They had him on 22 medications. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh. like I don't even, I don't even know the person that's before me. He was so, um, drugged up just cause they didn't know his pain level. He could not, he wasn't speaking. He was nonverbal. Um, so within three months of having him home, I had him walking with assistance and he was down to two medications and medical marijuana. And, um, he could somewhat talk. He came back talking German first, which I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not learning that, but luckily my older two children took German. So they would speak to him and there was always Google translate. So, <laughs> so, and then eventually he did. And then about, um, five months after that, as a last ditch effort, they tried him on a medication to try to like, like just like jumpstart his brain. And, um, he wound up having an allergic reaction to it. He lost all progress and almost died. Um, and then he never recovered from that. So it was, all of these things, we beat all the odds. We had all of these moments. And then just for, hey, like this one last shot. And, and it wound up being the thing that he never recovered from. Well, huge shout out to the Tampa VA first. Um, a lot of people like to criticize the Veteran Administration and the care that they give. But you're not the only person that has said, wow, uh, they made a big difference in our lives. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, about two months ago, I did an episode with Scott and Tiffany Smiley, and Scott Smiley was severely wounded in combat and lost his, became totally blind. And everybody said, that's it, man, your career is over with, your future is over with. And Tiffany, his wife, just refused to accept that. And it was because of her determination that Scott was able to stay in the military as the world's first totally blind soldier. Um, just because Tiffany was strong enough to say, we're going to, we're going to give the, we're going to have the best life we can. Um, obviously Jody, you didn't ask for these circumstances, nor did Roman. They're thrust upon you. And now you're seeing this strong, talented, smart, good looking man that just radically changes in an instant in front of you. And you, as you just described it, you and your children, your lives are just turned upside down. You said something really powerful a second ago, and I, I, I don't want the listener to miss this. So I want to I, I kind of walk them back through this for a second. Describe what Roman can do when you get him home from the hospital, because he's still very much totally dependent on care. So describe what it's like, like the first day you got him home from the hospital. Um, it was, it was very, very difficult. Um, just we were renting at the time. So even though like, as you go through this process and, you know, I was a newer military wife too. So people are using all these acronyms and I'm like, can we just, just cut to the chase and say the real word? I don't, I don't have the time to Google it right now. And I, and I haven't slept in like, I don't know, nine days. So, uh, so, um, it, it was really for us just learning that and getting him home. And, you know, we were still, even though I got him home, we were still driving three days a week to get him to therapies um, all the way in Tampa from St. Pete. So we were spending about two and a half hours on the road every day with him, you know, with him doing in three and a half hours in therapy just to get him back to some sort of like, resemblance of what we thought. Like I was realistic, you know, I had my hopes and my dreams and, but I was realistic. But when you still have hope, like you, it, it motivates you to get up every morning. And for the first time in my life, and I, I, I want to make this clear because for me, it's, I've always been faithful. Um, and there's been a lot of trauma in my family. And I always felt like it would skip my family because of, of the trauma that we've been through. Um, but I remember him being when I saw him, you asked me earlier. And for the first time in my life, I turned to God. I wasn't angry. And I remember that being so powerful for me and so not being angry. And, and, you know, we always pray when things are good in our lives, 
but it's so much easier to, to want to damn everything around you when it's not going your way. And I, here I am watching the love of my life, the worst possible way. I remember praying, Lord, you know what my intentions are, right? <laughs> like, you know what I want. Um, but if that's not what you see fit, I, I, I don't want him to suffer. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I remember just every chaplain, every, every, I, I don't care what religion you're, just, everybody just pray. Like, everybody was praying. And you know, you have to realize my kids were there. Like, my, my youngest was two. He thought that the nurses were, were waitresses. He's like, oh, have an ice cream. I'm like, we're not there. And we became that much of a family. But um, I remember praying um, for a, a Christmas miracle, and he actually started to wake up. He, his eyes opened on Christmas Eve, and our church was right next door to the hospital. So I grabbed all the kids. I'm like, we're going to Mass. Let's go. And I remember that being a pinnacle from that moment all the way through his care. Um, just you have to realize that it's not in your time, and it's so difficult. It is so difficult to digest because it's not, it's not natural. Like you want your person. And when something like that happens, the only person you want to talk to is your person. And that's the only person you can't talk to about it. So, um, but you know, when he got home, we were able to get him walking um, with like, um, like ski sticks. Um, we were able to, um, I had bought a service dog for him to try to work on balance. Um, we were trying to work on um, just, you know, his ADLs. Like he needed um, 100% help with ADLs every now and then he could do a task, but there was nothing with consistency. Um, by 9.30, he was already like, neuro-fatigued out. So, I mean, everything had to be done first thing in the morning. There was no sleeping patterns. He had his nights and his days mixed up um, with his uh, brain uh, activity. And um, every three months, it would change. We would finally get on a schedule, and then everything would change. And we had to start over again every three months. And we did that for, for five and a half years. Just every And like, like this worked yesterday, he would go through a phase with textures, like you would only eat things that were lemon flavored. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get, you know, you a daily allowance of calories eating only lemon flavored stuff, but we, we, we got creative, you know? And so if he thought anything was an, an ice cream sundae, he would eat it. So we were putting like everything, you know, like everything. <laughs> so I just, it really forced, um, forced us out of our box to be creative. And I had, like I said, the children were amazing. My son, who was nine at the time, got up every morning with me at 4.30 a.m to help get his dad out of bed, help me get him, you know, dressed, help him get his medicines. And that was before he would go to school. And then when he got home from school, he would do the same. And my 11-year-old helped take care of the two and three-year-old so that I could advocate. I mean, I was on the phone probably five to seven hours a day, almost the entire time I was caregiving. Um, so it was, it was a group effort. And then I had some amazing part-time caregivers that truly without their passion and their love like they fell in love with roman even post after the moment that they met him i honestly believe that we were able to give him the best quality of life possible his, his remaining time five to seven hours a day your cell phone provider was probably calling and saying what on earth is this woman <laughs> doing on the phone uh, so much well, either that or i remember um, this one time distinctly and this is funny like my kids are like mom mom please i'm like no the redhead in me is not going to take, so I would wear a dress. The only place I was going to the VA, so. And I got some Czech Republic in me, so I am not taking no for <laughs> Go an Go ahead, tell me no. no. So I would remember dressing up and I, right. I would put my stilettos on. Everybody like, where are you going? I'm like, this is the only place I've, I've been in like years. So I'm going to dress up. And I remember wanting another lift um, kit for the hospital. And then his doctor was like, they only give those out to one to a family. I'm like, hold, you know, hold on. So I see the director coming in. I remember hiding behind a pillar and he walked by and I said, I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. how you doing? I'm like, I wanted to talk to you about something. And he's like, Jody, I'm on my way to see somebody. It's like sad when the director of the hospital knows you. I was like, don't, I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm like, I'll walk with you. Yes, knows you right. by first name. I'll walk with you till you get there. And he's like, what yeah. is it going to take for you to stop talking? I'm like, to give me what I want. Like, I'm not. And when you realize that you are advocating for the quality of someone's life, like you don't care what people think about you. You really... I feel like that that um, yeah. comic Maxine, right? Where she's like, she was so grumpy. I'm like, that was me at 36. Uh -huh. I was, I was like a young redhead of Maxine, but I didn't care. Like, I knew what needed to be done, and 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 not on my watch. She was going to get the best quality of care possible. Right. I watched you from a distance, and you didn't even know this until we just reconnected a few weeks ago. Um, I watched you from a distance, love Roman and serve Roman, and actually care for him like a child 
for most of those, you already said it out loud, five and a half years. Um, and I stood back. I remember my wife would, would regularly show me updates of you guys from social media. And I stood back and watched this. And I was like, look at this lady go like day in and day out with no break, relentlessly loving and serving your husband when he has radically changed. He's a shell of a man that he used to be in front of you. You already said this word. And I know people are wondering right now, like, wait a second, if this went on for five and a half years, how did you do this? You always used, you already used the word hope. So hope for you changed over the course of those five and a half years. When you first got him home from the hospital, what were you hoping for? Um, I was hoping that he would recognize us. He didn't even know who we were, the kids and I were. So that was really it was almost like a multitude of injuries, like polytrauma wise, where it was like dealing with somebody with almost like Alzheimer's, but also like in a physically infantile yeah. state. And so I just kept hoping that he would recognize me or say my name. And I remember the first yeah. Mother's Day after yeah. after his accident, he actually said my name out loud. And I just remember that thing. Like, I mean, nothing else. That I was bet you just wept gift. on that one. Yeah. I could ever ask for. And I, it yeah. is funny that when you go through something that's so traumatic, how much the little things truly mean. I remember just so many yeah. times that he lay there and the moments that I would miss him the most, like I never on a date night would ever have to unclasp my own necklace. Like he would always unclasp my necklace and take off my shoes, you know, and he would always go to bed later because he liked to play video games and it was nerdy. I'm like, you can't do that when I'm awake. <laughs> so he would always, you know, tuck me in, like tell me good night and go do his thing. But it's this little, little things that there was, like, there was always an avenue of care and concern. And that hope was that I knew had the situation been reversed, he would have done it for me. Um, so you just kind of go, you go through the motions. And my goal was to get him stable enough to move him back to Kansas City. That is where we had talked about retiring and raising our yeah. family. And that was my goal, get him stable enough. And maybe if he is where he said he always wanted to be, it'll get him better. But if not, you know that you are living your two's yeah. dream together. Like He's there. Right. He may not be aware of it, yeah. but you know that you're doing right by him and what you guys have planned on doing in your marriage. So that was my goal. Yeah. And I held on. And for 18 months, it would be 18 months to get him stable enough to move to Kansas City. Um, but uh, it, it was worth it. it. There was just always something on the horizon that – Every little thing from the first time he could use a fork, you're like, right. it was such a huge, huge thing. And yeah. um, I, I just, I had a lot of amazing support. Yeah. I hope people just heard you say it took you 18 months just to get him well enough to be able to move back or move to Kansas City. Um, obviously, hope changes for you over time. But right now, people are, are sitting there listening to you and they're saying, I don't know how I would do it. If, if I had the love of my life that just became totally a shell of a person, completely dependent on other people, and basically hours and hours worth of work every day for the very little things like brush your teeth or eat some food or just turn over in bed, that kind of work is relentless. And you made a statement that I think everyone needs to hear again the way that you get through today is to just focus on today. You don't focus on next month, next year, five and a half years from now. You just focus on today and what does it take for us to help him, you know, make a little bit of progress today. And you do that tomorrow and you do that the next day. And for the listener out there, you, Jody, keep doing that for five and a half years. But when's the moment that you realize my hopes aren't going to come true? that he's actually not going to, not only is he not going to recover, he's not going to survive. When did you finally realize uh, that? I was actually kind of su surprised, to be honest. Um, I had gone through all these stages, and I didn't even know that it had a, a term attached to it called ambiguous grief. Like, you know, everyone's yeah. like, well, he survived. And I'm like, well, he survived, but I, he, he doesn't know who we are. Yeah, but right. no, he didn't. And yeah, like, is like, the person that's in front of me is not the person that right. I once so knew. So you, you go through those stages and um, and then we come back uh, from a, a little respite care trip, the kids and I, and he had just, he had stopped eating. And um, that was really hard. So we tried everything under the sun. 
But, you know, we were very, very passionate about having you know, all of our documentation done when we got married. So, like, I, at this point, you know, it yeah. was about following what his wishes were. And we had done everything uh-huh. possible. There was, there was no other medications. There were no other therapies. There, there was nothing. We had tried every possible scenario. Um, and so this is what it came to. And what was really difficult um, was having the hospice team come to our house. And yeah. What you think that you are going to see, and especially in someone in his situation, is that they're going to give him some medication and he'll just gently go to sleep. And um, I think there was some peace for me and knowing that he was finally going to be at peace because um, you're just sitting there watching someone basically starve to death, which is awful. <laughs> yeah. But he had the um, exact opposite reaction to those end-of-life medications. So instead of being... You know, falling asleep, he was wide awake, and um, what the artist told would take oh, two weeks, man. wound up taking two months. And so he was down to, I want to wow. say, probably 108 pounds. And um, mm. the kids and I were all there. He would just, he would not pass. They came in the hospice team, they were prior military where we were at. They did that whole um, soldier you can let go with old service, and they said most of them yeah. passed, like that's what they need, but he didn't, he was holding on. Um, and then he, the last picture I have of him, he, he grabs my wrist and then he just, from that point, he never woke up from consciousness again, but, uh, yeah. he, uh, just started, uh, the kids and I were all in there and I heard my kids screaming as I had stepped out of the room and, um, he just started vomiting and then choked to death in front of the kids and I, it was awful. <laughs> and that's what passed. Oh man, that's terrible. So, um, but you want to talk about, you mentioned earlier, Things that that other military wives say that they can see. I thought seeing him originally in that hospital room was the worst thing I was ever going to see. But um, seeing your spouse rolled out on a hearse. (laughs) Well, Jody, I watched you over these five and a half years. And I watched you with the greatest respect. Because I watched the way that you loved him and honored him and served him. Even though that person that's in front of you is not at all the man you married, but you not not only were you faithfully taking care of him, but you honored him by the way you took care of him. And for the person that finds themselves, God forbid anybody ever finds themselves in the circumstances that you're in. If you're wondering how would I do what Jody did, how was this woman able to do it? You get up today and you just handle the challenges of today, whatever they are, as intense as they may be. And then tomorrow you you go to sleep tonight, totally exhausted. You get up tomorrow and you handle the challenges of tomorrow. Tomorrow, you don't try to fix the challenges of tomorrow today because you've just got so much on your plate. There's no way to do that. Right. Um, when you finally realized he's not going to survive. Was there a moment that you let Roman know that you were letting him go? There was. Um, <laughs> we still want to go. <laughs> if you think I'm stubborn, he was even more stubborn. And it got to the point where... <laughs> All right. Two stubborn people. That's why he made it five and a half years. He was going to defy you and the odds and he everybody. Was. He, was. He, was. he was such a true fighter by nature and in every aspect and every challenge, every therapy, everything that would, I think would have broken most people. And even in his condition, like he still, and that was his saying to us all the time um, before his accident was, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so like the kids and I would always say that, like you said, in the days that were difficult, one bite at a time, we'll worry about that tomorrow. Like, let's just get through today. And so when we realized that this wasn't going to go down the way, because we thought, hey, he's stable now. Like I didn't have any other indication that he wouldn't live another 20 years. So this was actually a surprise to me. Uh, even more of a surprise for me was um, is when he did pass. Like I thought that I had had these years built up of knowing it was a possibility, of the understanding, you know, how many times that he had turned septic and I've almost lost him in the last five and a half years. So, But I think that thinking that I was prepared actually made it worse because when he passed away, I realized that there is no more hope. Like there isn't just another bad day. Like there are no more days. So that, that transformation of like ambiguous grief, like, Oh, we'll never go here together. or He'll never, you know, get to walk his daughter down. The- now it's okay. Now there's, that's never going to happen. And so I think it hit me twice as hard and went through some very, very dark periods of 
Um, that has to do with my faith, and that's the first thing that people want to ask. And it's I, I never was angry at God. I mean, I clearly saw it was Roman that was fighting, and I clearly saw the situation for what it was, even though I didn't like it. And I remember being on an online support group, which I highly recommend. I at the time didn't have the energy to be around people like you didn't you wanted people to be around, but then you didn't want to talk about it. So I think caregivers fall in this very weird. Um, community of isolation self-isolation and then it gets to the point where no one invites you out anymore and you're like oh you have a party like hi <laughs> so so we had gone through all these like different you know mechanics and family dynamics and so now like how do we how do we how do we move on from this like i remember and this to me is a very distinct moment everybody asked me like what did you do the next day i got up ran into his room like i did every morning at 4 30 he was the first you know thing that i did and I remember going there and he wasn't there. And I just stood there. I didn't know what to do with myself. I had no idea what to do with myself. And so I just, I walked into my kitchen and I made myself a cup of coffee. I sat on my back porch and I took a sip and I cried my eyes out. And not so because he was gone. I hadn't had a cup of hot coffee five and a half years. Huh. In that moment that yeah. I realized how much like we all just poured ourselves. How much you'd given. And yeah. I mean, you can ask any of us, we would do it all over again. Like he such a cornerstone yeah. of strength and lessons in the short time that we did have with him prior to his accident, um, that even after his accident, he's still teaching us lessons. Yeah, that was a powerful statement. Five and a half years of just brutal, uh, a daily grind of taking care of Roman. And to hear you say, I would do it all over again, man, it says a lot about you, Jody. Um, I know that a lot of people who have to ha had to make that decision to look at somebody that they love and say, that's it. I'm not going to see you anymore. And you, um, I, you have my permission. It's okay. Go ahead, go to sleep. Don't wake up. In, in Roman's case, it didn't work out that way, but just making that statement is really, it may be one of the hardest things a human will ever do. You learn a lot from this and you reached out uh, after this was over with and said, hey, I want to help other people. So now let's transition and talk about what, you've, what you're doing now to help other people because your story doesn't end there after they wheel Roman out in a hearse. Your story actually takes a beautiful turn in a very unexpected direction. So what you've been doing lately and what's the... Uh, you know, the big plan that you, you've been working on? Well, it started, uh, I would say, about um, his third year um, while he was still alive post-accident. And I just noticed that I had a, I had a knack or an annoyance, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I really <didn't> know. <laughs> Either a knack or I could drive some people crazy with this. You know, to, to advocate. And it got wind um, from there is a supplemental program through the VA. Uh, there's the uh, peer support program. Um, but they were trying to get caregivers that were currently in the program that had the most expertise or like the largest voice in these areas to help advocate for other like severe families. So I was attacked. Uh, I did it for 18 months. I volunteered while I was taking care of Roman um, at Washington, D.C. Wow. With all of your free time, you spent it volunteering on that. And I just put free time in air quotes for anybody who's driving and listening. Well, I figured this. if I was going to be laying in bed at night, you know, writing novels in my head, I might as well be helping other people. <laughs> so it really opened my eyes to the experiences that we went through were not, um, you know, just indicative of us. There were so many that were hurting in ways they were suffering in silence. And I think the VA was doing the best that they, they can but I don't think it's something that you really understand the needs of someone until you've walked in those shoes. And so I was assigned uh, families with uh, other brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, and severe PTSD or um, chronic illness. And that really just opened my eyes. And it just, like, like, I wept. I wept at some of the things that they were saying to me. I wept at their inability to, to know how to advocate. And so after 18 months, I got to the point, like, okay, I, I'm burned out. Like, when it's starting to take care away from the care of my family. Um, but I learned a lot. So for those seven years, I chronicled. I mean, wrote everything on sticky notes, journals, postcards, and I went everywhere and I threw it in the door, right? Because I could not, um, I'm a writer by nature, I could not go back and read those things and still keep it together. So um, it's taken me two years. He passed away April 1st, 2021. It's taken me two years to have the courage, which one day I was hoping that I would, to go back through and start organizing all of these notes that I had taken 
Um, and so that's what I'm doing is kind of as a, as a legacy to honor Roman, a passion project, so to speak. Um, I am opening a company right now. It's called Chasing Grace. And it is specifically aimed at people that are in like a polytrauma situation like ours, where it's not just a, hey, you're in, you're out, you have a surgery. It's a caregiving for the long haul. Like, what does this look like in a situation where it's, it's chronic or they don't know who you are or it's it's day in and day out? And I realized that there, this is such a niche community that is so underrepresented. And so my goal was is to pull all these resources together because when you're in crisis mode, you don't want to be on Google. Like you don't. And then you're like, oh my gosh, he has a spot on his head. We're all going to die. Like, that's not what I needed at the moment. I needed somebody, this is where you need to go. And this is what this means. I needed one place to go to do it. So I've had a lot of amazing support from the community, from leaders, um, you as well, which I appreciate, but just a lot of people in the holistic community and healing, people that have been on his team and in our lives and that have said over the years, hey, like your family has really made an impact on us. And I was like, what better way to honor Roman than to turn around and help this very families that he was raised in that he served aside so it's it's been an honor and, and i'm really excited but we're uh, i'm partnering with uh some veteran service organizations to do some like thank you um projects and stuff for for veteran caregivers and their families but then also like for the widows like we want to do something um because you think when that thing they pass but i will tell you what it was month three that i think hit me the hardest after that his his passing away so I just want them to be. I want them to be remembered. I want what they've done to be remembered. Um, believe it or not, statistically, uh, you know, we have the most resources as a veteran community for widows. Um, but after two years, it kind of dies off, and then the civilian population has more of a long term. So I, I want them to still feel relevant. Like they they gave up a huge part of their lives, which I know all of them that I've talked to would do it again. But then when you don't have that person there and you're out of the military community, like then then what? That was your whole life. So. I just want them to be honored and I want them to know that their contributions and what they did for their fellow servicemen and for their families is, is valued. Um, and so I, you know, I'm chronicling this thing called, you know, from uh, from widow to warrior. And I hope that I'm able to make an impact um, on so many families that are so desperately suffering in silence. Well, you called it a niche community, but the needs for that community are just overwhelming. I mean, there's so much need the, and uh, and the team to uh, to support the families of somebody who went through what Roman went through, it's just intense. And in your case, intense for five and a half years. And what a, a classic example of the kind of family that you guys had uh, have, and the kind of woman that you are. That you would go from widow to warrior, and you would use your experiences and say, "I'm not gonna sit on this." I want to do some good with it. I want to help other people with it. Doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all about you, uh, Jody, that you would want to take your experiences as terrible as they were and try to help other people with it. So um, how far along are you in the, um, the whole pro or the whole uh, part of chasing grace? And uh, what is, what's the next few weeks, few months look like? For uh, the next here? few months, um, what, Got all my stuff organized, and so I'm just working on a, like a really user-friendly website. I, like I said, I don't want people to have to show up and be overwhelmed by the information that's on there. So, like, I'm having analytics uh -huh. built in the back, like just to show me what has driven people to the most, so that I know what's relevant and what to hide, you know, highlight the, the most for them. Really walking them through the VA system. I mean, even in the last two years, so much has been added on to programs and stuff that yeah. I really want to be a, yeah. a cornerstone because. By the time that people reach out in a situation like that, it's almost already too late. Like they're already exhausted. Yeah. So when they do, I want to make sure that I have the resources or access to the resources for them. So it's just been refamiliarizing myself, re-educating myself, um, you know, taking some supplemental classes and stuff, just to make sure that I'm on top of what regulations and stuff are. Uh, I really want to be that person that if someone picks up the phone or has the courage to send me an email at two o'clock in the morning because they can't sleep and they need they need information. Cool. This, right. th that I want to be able to give it to them. So um, I'm hoping that by the end of the summer or beginning of summer, mid-August, that the website and everything will be up and running. Um, I'm working on my first event. Um, we'll be, be in Kansas City um, to try to uh, partner with, um, right. working with uh, PPA right now to try to partner with them. But there's really a few charities. I want to sponsor, co-sponsor events uh, with four of them a year, each of them being uh, a charity that showed us grace when we needed it. And without them in that moment of time, uh -huh. would have, you know, would have been a lifeline. And PVA had done that for me. Technically, he was not because he was 
brain injury, but he was polytrauma. So our representative, I mean, went all the way to Congress. I've been all the way to Congress fighting for things for Roman while he was wow. trying to get services wow. because I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And so I wanted somebody that had yeah. just as much, you know, go get him and then me and refuse to let, you know, the bureaucracy or administrative people make medical decisions. And uh-huh. so that's kind of where we're at. Operation Helping Hand in Tampa, their uh, VA is amazing. It's a bunch of retired military officers that, you know, helped out Mother's Day cards, like chocolate, little things when you're in there all day long with your family that mean so much. Um, just, you know, uh-huh. I, I, I want to replicate that for, for other families. So we're, we're pulling resources right now. I've had an amazing love and support from, from family and from friends and from just people that serve with Roman that we're like, you know, we're, we're so happy to see this. Like, I know Roman is just smiling down on me. And that's literally the only, like, thanks yeah. that I need because I feel like that he's doing the same. When you reached out to me and asked would I be willing to contribute some information and article for you, I was like, absolutely. After watching what you've been through, I'll do everything I can to help you help other people going through something similar. I asked that last question because I wanted people that are saying, I am so inspired by Jody. I want to know more or God forbid, I know somebody who's going through what the Izzo family went through. How do I find out more? That's really one of the reasons I asked this question. So let's say they want to know more. What's the best way for them to find out? Um, So um, like I said, about August 1st, um, the website will be Operation Chasing Grace. I have a little military thing on there. So Operation Chasing Grace. Yeah, got to have some <laughs> operational exactly. title on there. So yeah. much more official now. So Operation Chasing Grace, and then I'll uh-huh. have all of our contact information on there. Um, we are in the process of setting up a nonprofit portion of the business here out in Nevada. Um, just for some, I know some of his uh, his colleagues were like, you know what, we want to sponsor an event and in a situation like that. That's awesome, too. As much as I can mitigate costs for caregivers who are already on budgets, that is the greatest yeah. gift and to see them be able to be honored in front of their vet and their community is so huge. So there'll be opportunities like yeah. that. We're volunteering, um, getting together and setting up trade shows or like that. So I know that I've had a lot of love and support back home in Kansas. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the entire Leavenworth community without them. We would not All be right. here. Way to yes. go, Leavenworth every community. church, yep. every retired officer, you know, ILE, my kids, godfathers live out there. Every one of them, Neighbors stepped up to the plate. They gave us 11 weeks of meals while we were out there. I had to go out and buy a deep freezer. And wow. it was just one of those things. Yeah. I just, I went ending with this, Jeff, because it's one of those things that as you're going through it, you just, you're such a crisis mode. It, it's taken me two years to look back right. and realize that every contribution that those families made are the reason why I'm still standing today through those dark times. So yeah. they deserve, yeah. they deserve the, the kudos. So thank you, Leavenworth. Thank you to my family. And, all four of my children because they sacrificed their entire childhoods to do yeah. what was right. And uh, with God by your side, I really feel like you can do anything. Yeah. And I watched you guys from a distance, you and your children taking care of Roman and honoring him. And I just want to end this episode by saying, I wanted to invite you on the show, Jody, so that I could honor you because what you gave for five and a half years inspired me. You didn't even know that you were inspiring me, but I was inspired from a distance watching you. I'm proud of you, lady. And I'm so excited about Operation Chase and Grace and what the future holds for you. So thank thank you you for being a guest on this episode. Thank you, Jeff, so much for having me. And I will be in touch. Thank you. Did you hear Jody's advice? You don't have to go through this life-altering crisis that she went through. Anytime that you've been hit with circumstances, they've come out of the blue and you didn't even see this one coming. The only way to handle today is the way Jody did it. Just to get up and to face the challenges that are in front of you and you face it with hope. And then you go to sleep totally exhausted. You get up tomorrow and you handle the challenges that are in front of tomorrow and you face those challenges with hope. That's what it looks like to live an unbeatable life. And I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for connecting with my guest. I hope you were moved by this incredible woman's story. There's a lot of amazing people 
that stay connected with this podcast. They're connected not just during an episode, but all week long. We call them the Unbeatable Army. And if you want to become part of the Unbeatable Army, it's totally free. All you got to do is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. We got some freebies. We got some giveaways we'll give you just for signing up. I hope that the Unbeatable Army encourages you on your really bad days, like the days that Jody went through. But there's also some pretty amazing people that are connected with us on social media. And I just wanna make a huge shout out to Sean Shelter. Sean, you're the fan of the week this week. Give yourself a high five. I don't know how you could do that. Maybe if you slap the mirror. Anyway, just I just wanted to say, man, thank you for staying so connected. Thank you for staying so faithful and uh, all of the comments that you made on our social media platforms. And for the rest of you out there, if you're not already following our podcast, just go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're not already connected with us on social media, all you got to do is just search at Unbeatable Podcast on just about any social media platform. I hope Jody's story has given you a little bit of inspiration to handle whatever life is throwing at you this week. And I'll be right back with you next week. God bless.